Welcome. Thank you for listening to Clear Bible. This ministry is brought to you by New Joy Fellowship, by Life Together Churches, and by me, Tom Hilpert. And I know I, I say that all the time. And again, part of the reason I say that is because this is, we are supported. There are, there are people who are um, supporting me so that I can do this and it can be out there. And I want to make you aware of that in case you want to become one of those supporters. I am not going to put any pressure on you whatsoever to do that. That is between you and the Lord. But if you feel like supporting the ministry, there's a place on the, the blog site there that you can go. I think it's a tab called Donate or something like that. And, and that'll tell you what you need to do. And for those of you who do support us, we are really, really, really grateful. And it's so encouraging to know that there are folks out there who value this ministry and want it to continue. So thank you for that. We are looking at the book of 1 Samuel. This is 1 Samuel uh, number 17. We're, we're part 17 in the book of 1 Samuel, and we're in chapter 16, starting at verse 14. So the text is 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 through 23. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. And thank you for even these troubling, difficult parts of your word. Because when you, when you get our attention, sometimes we, we learn things that we might not have learned any other way. So I pray that you would use this text to get our attention. Use it to teach us, to equip us, to be your followers, to draw us to yourself, to bring glory to yourself. And use this time that we're having here together as I speak. Use this however you want it to be used. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so just to remember how the scene got set up, we had Saul over and over again really showing himself not to be somebody who was very interested in what God thought or what God wanted him to do. He, he fudged things when he... When he was worried, he would try to use his religion to, to you know, get the army to stay together. Or he would tr he'd be worried, should I attack? Should I not attack? He'd call the priest and then he saw, oh, no, no, I should attack. Never mind. We don't even need to talk to God about this. And then he would do other things without talking to God and, and he would not listen. And so finally Samuel, you know, had to say, hey, the kingdom is, is going to be taken away from you and it is somebody else. And then Samuel went and anointed David, who was... Uh, somebody who fully gave his heart to the Lord as fully as a, as a sinful person can, and we're all sinful people. And then we pick up here in 1 Samuel 16, starting at verse 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting from spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He'll play soothing music and you'll soon be well again. All right, said Saul. Find me someone who plays well. Bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war. He has good judgment and he's a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. So Saul sent his messengers to Jesse to say, send me your son David, the shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul, along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. 
So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp. Then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. And we respond, What the heck? Uh, this is one of those passages of Scripture that at the first time you read it, you kind of you think, this is very troubling. This, this is very strange. Well, I don't like this. There are other versions, and, and there's some justification for this. There are other versions that translate it, an evil spirit from God. God sent an evil spirit to torment Saul. That's one way that we could translate it. And it, it feels like one of the most troubling verses in the Bible. God sent an evil spirit or even a tormenting spirit. It seems at first like what's going on here is God has rejected Saul, said, you can't be my king. You won't listen to me. So now I'm going to bug you. Now I'm going to torment you. And of course, that seems completely out of character for the God that we worship. And, and it's, it's hard to wrap our heads around. However, I think when we do spend some time and really see what's going on here, this text becomes one of those places where we want to stop and praise God for his incredible and amazing grace. So again, uh, with the context, Saul, since the very first time, uh, very first record of him that we have in scripture, he, he, he ignored God. He'd never met Samuel, even though he lived just you know, pretty close by. He'd never been to a worship service with Samuel. He wasn't interested in meeting Samuel until his servant said, oh, you know, the, the man of God may help us find our donkeys. He could ask God about the donkeys. Oh, okay, if we can use him, that sounds good. And that was Saul's attitude towards God all the way along. He seemed to consider God and religion as a tool to be manipulated and used to accomplish his own purposes, to get what he wanted what he wanted. He showed his insecurities and his fears, and, and he wouldn't trust God. Instead, he tried to control things himself to protect his own interests. And again, when he did engage with religious things, he wasn't engaging with God. He was engaging with religious things in order to manipulate people. Again, like I said before, in the midst of battle, first he wanted to ask for God's guidance, and then he's like, no, never mind, I don't need God's guidance. And then later on, he didn't even think to ask for God's guidance, and the priest said, hey, shouldn't we? Anyway, you, you remember all these things. We've been going through these if you've been with us on this sermon series. And so he's kind of the worst that we get in religious leaders. He's, he's using religion as a way to manipulate others, to control others, and in the meantime, he's also kind of using it as a way to stop himself from putting his trust in the living God. And so finally, we got to the point where Samuel had to communicate to Saul, hey, God can't use you as his king anymore. And this is how that went at the end of 1 Samuel 15, 15, 23 through 28. This is Samuel beginning to talk. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul answered Samuel, I've sinned, I've transgressed the Lord's command and your words. Because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. Now therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so I can worship the Lord. Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you because you rejected the word of the Lord 
the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. When Samuel turned to go, Saul grabbed the hem of his robe and it tore. Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingship of Israel away from you today and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. And again, this wasn't just one-time failure on the part of Saul. This was, and of course, when we read these things, we don't often realize this is probably over the course of several years, right? This was not two months after Saul became king. This was a, a long history in which every incident that we see here, Saul has somehow twisted things to get his own way and, and to not listen to God and not do things God's way. He had many, many chances to turn to the Lord, to rely on the Lord, but he never did it. And so the Lord could not use Saul as his chosen instrument in that generation. And we need to understand why. Why couldn't the Lord use him? Because Saul wouldn't let him. Saul refused to trust the Lord. He refused to turn to the Lord. He refused to listen. It wasn't that the Lord just didn't like Saul. He gave him every chance he could give him. And finally, it became very evident to everybody Saul's not going to change. This is the way it is. God can't use him because Saul won't let him. And after this becomes painfully obvious, the Lord directed Samuel to David. And we talked about David last time. He was a, a young man who gave his heart fully to God. And he became the Lord's chosen instrument. That's what that anointing meant. We talked about that last time. Samuel anointed David with oil, which was symbolic of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on David. David became God's chosen instrument in that generation. And remember again, there's a difference in the Old Testament from the New Testament with this. We are now all of us filled with the Holy Spirit. We all have the Spirit of God in us. God wants to use each and every one of us in our lifetimes to be his instrument. But back in Old Testament times, he used the people of Israel as a whole, and then he used one or two, sometimes a small group of people as his chosen instruments. And he took that away from Saul because he wouldn't, Saul wouldn't let him do, be. Saul would not allow God to make him his chosen instrument. And so he chose David to be that instrument now. Now to understand this business of God sending an evil spirit to Saul, we, we need to understand something else. It says very clearly that Saul was rejected from being king. Saul was rejected as God's chosen instrument. That's very clear in the passage I just quoted. But it does not mean that Saul was rejected as a person. And uh, I remember when I was a child, trust me, this story will go somewhere. <laughs> when I was a kid, I, I des young kid, I desperately wanted a knife. To me, you know, a knife represented power and, and maturity. It was a weapon. It was a tool. It was the next logical step in my progression to adulthood. And so I, I begged and begged and begged and cajoled and pleaded with my parents and showed them what a mature young six-year-old young man I was. And uh, finally, they broke down and gave me a knife. At the time, you know, I, my perspective wasn't so, you know, I was very young. So I didn't realize it was just a tiny, tiny little knife. You know, it was, it was something along the lines of a fingernail clipper about that size and, you know, just one of those thin little pen knife, almost a letter opener type of thing. But it did have a blade. And uh, I was so excited. And I carried it around with me everywhere. And I suddenly realized I really didn't have any use 
for this knife. And so I decided I would find a use for it. And just as I was thinking this, there's a clothesline right in front of me. And so I took out my little knife and I took a swipe at the clothesline and it parted like the waters of the Red Sea in front of Moses. I mean, it was beautiful. Oh, what a wonderful thing that was. My knife works. I can use it for things like slashing clotheslines in half. This was so cool. And then I saw a screen, a, a, you know, a screen for keeping out flies and, and mosquitoes and everything. And back in those days, the screens were a little bit more met metallic than they are now. It was a pretty rigid metallic type of screen. And I thought, I wonder if my knife can cut metal. And oh my goodness, it could my knife cut metal. It was so exciting. I was awed by the power that I held in my hand until I was awed by the power of my parents' discipline. I don't actually remember that much about how they disciplined me, but I do know this. They continued to love me. They didn't reject me because of the things that I did with my knife, but they took my knife away and they rejected six-year-old me with a knife. You see what I'm saying? They didn't reject me as a person. They just didn't want me to have a knife when I was six years old. Uh, so they loved me and they, they disciplined me. And to be honest with you, I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember being very upset that I had lost my knife. And I was probably more upset about that than the fact that I was going around cutting clotheslines and screens. And so... Uh, I think they probably had to discipline me until I realized, oh, it's not just you've lost your knife. It's also you've done something wrong. You need to be sorry about that. You need to change your mind. And I think Saul, that's a silly little story, but I think Saul is in the same type of situation, obviously a lot more serious, but the same type of situation. The Lord didn't reject Saul. He rejected Saul as his chosen instrument. He rejected Saul with the crown. Does that make sense? It's, it's, it's not that Saul himself was, you know, that, that God was done with Saul, but he was done with trying to use Saul. And Saul, like me, I think he was much more upset that he had lost his status as God's chosen instrument. He was more upset about that than upset about what he had done wrong. And so God was working on Saul. He was, he was trying to get through to Saul. He could have just said, okay, I'm done with you, buddy. You know, I'll, I'll just have somebody kill you or I'll just, you know, I'll send you straight to hell. Or he could have just ignored Saul. I'm done with you, never mind. Or, you know, and just let Saul live his own life apart from God. But instead, he sends a spirit to torment him. And I think it is exactly the situation. He is still trying to get through to Saul. He's rejected Saul as his instrument. Saul can't be the chosen instrument. Saul can't be the founder of a dynasty that God will use for generations to come. But God still wanted Saul. Now again, you know, we... That seems pretty extreme. I'll say, uh, you know, God wants to discipline Saul, so he sent a spirit to torment him. There are several other places in the Old Testament where the Lord used evil spirits to accomplish his purposes. There's one in Judges chapter 9, 23 and 24. There's one in 1 Kings 22, 18 through 23. And there's one even with David in 2 Samuel 24, 1. 
and Job. In each place, each place in Scripture, we get this picture of God. You know, there's evil spirits who want to do evil, and and they're straining. You know, it's like God is containing them; He's keeping them where they are and keeping them from doing anything. And they're just desperate to do something. And God says, "All right, I'm going to let you out to do ABC and only ABC." He in in all of these scriptures that I mentioned. God allows an evil spirit to work a kind of limited negative effect in a way that accomplishes God's own purposes. The evil spirit wants to do the evil, but it cannot do that without permission from God, and God limits that permission to what will accomplish his own purpose. And in most of these cases, of course, the purpose was to bring judgment and, if possible, repentance So I want to make sure, first of all, we understand this. God even somehow uses evil spirits. God bends demons to his own purposes and wills. They don't want to be used by him, but he does use them. So when we look at the whole of Scripture, I think the best and most accurate way to understand what's going on here with Saul is is that the Lord allowed a demonic spirit to have a certain limited influence on him with the purpose of bringing Saul back to repentance and true faith. And stay with me as we go through this because I think you'll see that this is actually very, very much confirmed in the text. So let me say it again. God allowed the evil spirit to torment Saul in a limited way with the express reason of accomplishing God's own purpose, which was to bring Saul to repentance and faith. God is trying still, even though he can't use Saul anymore, he's still trying to get him to repent. The New Living Translation, which I read to you, said the Spirit filled Saul with depression and fear. And that's a little bit of extra uh, interpretation. In Hebrew, it just says it was a tormenting spirit. It probably that's pretty close to reality. But I just want to make sure I say something here. Uh, and no one should get any crazy ideas. The scripture is not saying that all depression is caused by evil spirits. And it doesn't say that whenever somebody feels depressed and it's an attempt by God, it's an attempt by God to get them to repent. We're learning here specifically about Saul. And in Saul's case, those things are true, but I don't think we have a blanket teaching about all cases of depression here. Not all cases of depression are caused by demonic spirits, and, and not all cases of depression are being used by God to try and get someone to repent. But in Saul's case, that was the situation. So Saul's courtiers, they see the same thing, you know, his hangers-on, his, his people. Uh, they're looking around, they're saying, man, you, you seem to be being tormented. And, and they came up with a unique situation. They said, let's, let's find a good musician and, and let that musician pray for you and the problem might be eased. And so their search for the musician led them to David. Now stay with me. David was now God's chosen instrument of the Holy Spirit in his generation. So they, they went and got David and this is what happened. Whenever the Spirit from the Lord troubled Saul, David would pick up his lyre and play, and Saul would then be relieved, feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. 
So God allowed the evil spirit to trouble Saul, but he also gave Saul the means to be free from it. He didn't just say, I'm going to torment Saul. I'm going to torment Saul, but I'm also going to give Saul the opportunity to be relieved of that torment. And how is he going to get relief? By turning to the Holy Spirit. You see what's going on here? David is God's chosen instrument of the Holy Spirit. And so if David is there and David will play for Saul, he'll be relieved. If Saul, in other words, will turn to the Holy Spirit, he will be relieved. What freed Saul from the tormenting spirit was the Holy Spirit working through David. And so even though God couldn't use Saul as his chosen instrument anymore, he didn't just abandon Saul. He had to remove the anointing of the Spirit from Saul, but he still gave Saul a way to receive ministry from the Holy Spirit. I think the Lord was really trying all of Saul's life to get through to him. And do you see the grace here? Saul viewed God as a tool, and he only paid attention to God when he could see some personal benefit from doing so. He thought of God as his own tool and instrument for, for dealing with his own insecurities and for securing his own kingdom and, and all the rest of that. He viewed God as a tool. But the real thing was he was supposed to be God's tool, right? He was supposed to be the Lord's instrument. And whenever it didn't suit Saul, he turned away from the Lord. Whenever, whenever it didn't suit his purposes to be religious or spiritual or to try and manipulate people through religion, he had, he had no use for God. But now God has no use for Saul, but he has not abandoned him. He's still trying to get through to him. When Saul could not be used as his tool anymore, the Lord did not cast him off. He did not ignore him. He still worked to try and get Saul into a true heart and faith relationship with himself. This is a huge faith strengthener for me. I used to view this passage again, like I said at the beginning, as very troubling. And now I, I just it is so incredible to see the grace of God at work here. And when you first read the Holy Spirit or an evil spirit from God tormenting Saul, you don't initially think of grace, but that is what it was. That is what was going on there. I think of the words of C.S. Lewis. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is, meg it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God wasn't trying to be mean. He was trying to get Saul's attention. He was trying to get at his heart. Even though he had to give up on using Saul, he didn't give up on Saul as a person. He was still calling to him, still trying to teach him to rely on his grace. This reminds me also of something from the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, 5 through 11. And you've forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved for him, reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son that he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you're illegitimate children and not sons. 
Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of our spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And I just want to say a little aside there. It says, sons, if you are female, I want to reiterate that you too are a son of God. In Hebrew culture, it was the son that carried the father's name. It was the son that inherited from the father. So all of us who are in Jesus, whether we are male or female, we're all sons as God's chosen ones to inherit his grace. I, I've said this before, but you know it, it bears repeating all women are sons, if you're a Christian, all Christian women are sons, and all Christian men are brides. We're, we're called sons of God. We're also called the bride of Christ. So we both have to kind of wrap our heads around that. It's not about the male-female thing. It's about our position as the inheritors, the legitimate inheritors of God's grace, his legitimate children, the ones who carry his name in the case of the sons and then the bride. Of course, that's a whole different thing. We'll, I'll preach on that sometime. The main point that I'm making here, though, is that sometimes we have to endure discipline in order to mature and fully receive the Lord's grace. The discipline doesn't feel pleasant, but it's positive, not negative. It's a sign of God's grace and love, not rejection. And so even this, this discipline, which must have seemed very difficult, and it seems difficult when we read about it, it was positive, not negative. It was a sign of God's grace, not his rejection. He was trying to reach Saul's heart, even after all the ways that Saul rejected him. And so we can be sure that he will do the same for us. He won't give up on you. He won't give up on you. He will keep after you. Turn to him, trust him, receive that grace. Another thing that strikes me from this passage is the role of music. The Holy Spirit used music to try and reach the heart of Saul. And I've talked about this over and over again, but music can be a powerful tool in God's hands to call to our hearts. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote, he who prays or he who sings prays twice. You know, his, his idea was, you know, if you're singing, you're still praying. And he also said this, Martin Luther, experience testifies that after the word of God, music alone deserves to be celebrated as mistress and queen of the emotions of the human heart. A greater praise of music than this we cannot conceive, for if you want to revive the sad, startle the jovial, encourage the despairing, humble the conceited, pacify the raving, mollify the hate-filled, and who's able to enumerate all the lords of the human heart, I mean the emotions of the heart and the urges which incite man to all virtues and vices, what can you find that is more efficacious than music? And he's right. Music is special. There is something really incredible that is a gift of God about music, so much so that it was a, a place where Saul could find rest and succor, where he could find the, the peace and the comfort that he needed. It was teaching him through music to turn back to the Lord. So I say this, pay attention to music that speaks to your heart. Let God use it to draw you to himself. 
And there's one other thing about this that amazes me. Even today, we know some of the songs that Saul, that, that gave Saul peace and relief. Because these are songs of David. In other words, these are the Psalms. Not all of the Psalms, not David didn't write them all, but he wrote a lot of them. And, and we have them. We still today, 3,000 years later, have some of the songs that David sang to Saul that gave Saul peace and relief. Many times when my heart is troubled, I do find relief from reading the Psalms and even singing the Psalms. There are various ways to do that. I've, I've talked with some of you in our local churches about that. So let's just take a moment and, and pause and listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now. Maybe you're encountering some kind of discipline that feels unpleasant. This is God treating you as his legitimate heir. This is God treating you as his child, his dearly loved child. He's not rejecting you. He's drawing you. Maybe you feel distant from him. And maybe you need to listen to more music, something as simple and prosaic as that. Holy Spirit, please come and speak to us. Let us hear what you're saying now. Thank you for your grace to Saul that even when he was no use to you, you still wanted his heart. And thank you, Lord, that whether or not we are of use to you, you want us, you want our hearts. And help us to turn to you, to not be like Saul, but be like David, to receive you fully, to give you our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.